Welcome to Founders Unfiltered by a Junior VC. We are your hosts, Mazin and Aviral. Aviral, have you ever felt uncomfortable on the internet? So that's a great question. I've, I think I've been online for the last decade now. In the initial days when I never used to write a lot, um, obviously, you never really recall feeling uncomfortable. But, you know, after I started writing, especially on Quora, there were a lot of people who used to very actively troll. It can, you know, be quite vicious sometimes. And the fact that the person has never seen you, you don't know who they are and they are just taking a really strong negative stand, sometimes even like abusive is is pretty hard. And I think that uh, it took me a long time to develop a thick skin to it and not really care because a lot of people do personal ad hominem attacks to get attention. And I think the internet has to really evolve because I've noticed and I know from a lot of people that when you actually meet people who you feel unsafe with on the internet in real life, they tend to be pretty normal and nice human beings. But, you know, when, when you're behind an anonymous mask without a name and you just want to prove a point, uh, it, it could bring out the worst in people. But in general, I think the net positive uh, of the internet is very visible to me. I've found a lot of people who I've built strong relationships with and um, and I cherish a lot of them. In fact, like this whole junior VC thing is like built entirely off the internet, right? I think that, you know, there's a lot of positives on the internet as well. In this episode, we speak to Seri, the founder of Shiro's the world's largest social network for women. A misfit in every sense, Sari grew up in a small town in the 80s. She is a liberal arts major and did not know what a startup was until her first startup got acquired. Sari stumbled across Newslink when she met a retired sailor who wanted to build a newspaper for sailors on merchant navy ships. Her only qualification for the role was that she spoke Russian. Sari ended up helping build the company from the ground up, scaling it and later leading it to an acquisition. After that, Sari turned to the corporate world, but soon realized that she is a founder at heart. She then founded a boutique consulting company working with startups. A large portion of their job applicants included women who were working remotely, which gave them the flexibility to keep up with their, their responsibilities at home, as well as having a full-time job. This resulted in a safe space, a community for women, providing them with opportunities, resources, and a community where, where they can express themselves. Building a first-of-its-kind platform, Seri overcame many challenges and built Shiro's with immense empathy for women. Please enjoy our conversation with Seri about how she built Shiro's So Sairi, uh, would love to start a bit about your background and your journey before you started Shiro's. Uh, maybe we can go right to the start and if you could walk us through your journey a little bit. You say that you're a misfit in every sense. So would love to understand your journey growing up in small towns. Probably didn't even know what a startup was. And then how did you stumble upon all these? 
you know, I'm my own demographic. So a lot of women we sort of serve on Cheetos today is really the background I come from, small towns, educated, because education means a lot to, you know, middle class income families in India. It's really a tool for social mobility and respect. But also, I'm much older than most of the founders that are around now. And what that means is that I grew up in an India which was very, very different. You know, 80s was a much simpler time and I think a little chaotic time. It wasn't a very exciting time for a lot of things. Bollywood, for example, or, you know, industry, for example. But having said that, I think that really did shape me. And I grew up, uh, one, hanging around with my father. You know, we used to live on a factory campus. And so I was literally like a leech. I would always just sort of shadow him. And that really, in hindsight, had a huge impact on me. Like I totally would enjoy business conversations. And today also I catch myself, you know, sort of really still enjoying a lot of what I did back then. And I got lucky because I stumbled upon the internet very early. I think 99 and internet came into India, you know, maybe two, three years before that. You know, I mean, most people didn't even have email IDs. People had Rediff accounts and Hotmail accounts. And Yahoo was a cool search engine. So a very different time. But I got lucky and I started work very early. And that really shaped me. So by the time I finished my college, I had worked for four or five years. And I had a network. I was making more money than my peers. I had a car. I had a cell phone in those days. It was a big deal. And I think all these things gave a lot of confidence. And uh, one chance conversation with somebody who wanted to build a startup. See, nobody used the term startup in those days. They always said a company or a business or whatever they wanted to. And I met this guy who wanted to sort of set up something for mariners, basically sailors on high seas, merchant navy ship. And he said, look, I'm looking for somebody who wants to help me because I've been a sailor all my life and I want to solve this problem of sending good news from home to ships every day and seemed really genuine. I had no idea what he was saying. I didn't even know what it meant. But, you know, I put my hand up and I think that has always worked in my favor and it did this time as well. And uh, we set up this company called Newslink, which was uh, basically streaming news from about 25 countries and putting it in country-specific editions and beaming it via the satellite to about 20, 25,000 ships every day. So it was a really, you know, interesting operation and I got to build it. I was the first person on the team, you know, literally from opening the office with cobwebs and buying buckets and jhalu to servers, hiring engineers, sort of hiring rest of my team, coordinating with uh, our, our Cypress office. That's where a lot of sales effort was. So I learned on the job and uh, we built a company and, you know, beginner's luck or fool's luck, company did really well and it kind of uh, still exist. It still runs. So if, if you ask, you know, Merchant Navy guys, they would know of Newslink. So that was really where I learned my ropes. And that really helped me get excited about the internet and what it can do to people and how valuable it can be. And it's still the most magical thing we have in terms of how much power it gives to people who use it. So that was my early beginning. I obviously didn't study tech. I went to JNU. I was supposed to be an academic. So if you sort of do like a, a VC list check, of course, I learned about these lists much later. By that time, things had happened and I never stopped to check for those. So single founder, older, building women's internet, liberal R, no, no alumni networks, IIT, IAMs and such like. So whatever can go wrong, just in terms of not ticking the box did. But in spite of that, you know, things turned out fine. That's the fun part of the story. Pretty amazing. I think you also picked up Russian. You know, when I was in college, one of the things that was happening was, uh, you know, the USSR had just broken and a lot of these embassies were setting up in India. 
okay, the Kazakh, Belarus, Kyrgyz, Ukraine, all uh, ex-Soviet Union states. So as a student, I have freelanced for all of these. Like I had the embassy set up. I would work closely with ambassadors. And then because of that, I would work with MEA. I had nothing to extract from that. But what it did was it changed my horizons a lot. And I got to network with all the really big people. And I was just a student in second year. And that itself was, you know, like it just made me extremely fearless. I was always like on my own and very independent, but it just sort of gave me a very different level of confidence. And also I went to IMT to do an MBA. So there was a time when I was building my company and I had an MBA running and everything at the same time. And I have to tell you this fun fact, the only reason I went to do an MBA was because I wanted to learn all the jargon these people speak. So I grew up listening to business people and all the terms they used really fascinated. Of course, now we hear more of it, you know, network effects and LTV and CAC and SWOT and everything else, right? So I was always curious. The only reason I went to do an MBA was that. Let me learn what these guys talk. So came from a very different background, but I always say my biggest education is building a company and nothing has held me in good stead as much as doing it with my own bare hands and, you know, living with it 400 days at a stretch. So there is a legend in the company that says that I worked 400 days at a stretch. So my office manager had to send me on leave to save. Otherwise, labor law office will catch us. You can't come to office for at least a week or so. You have to go on leave. Nice. And I think that really set the foundation for you to actually start. I think you set up a company called Scythia Consulting. When did you discover that you were a founder at heart? So look, I did work with big setups, but Newslink was really my first startup. I was the first person on the team. I built it. So it was not my money and not my idea, but I built it. I built it as the first person on the team and I led a team. I led it to scale. I led it to acquisition as part of that whole process. So I had seen what it means to build something and seen it grow and building startups, especially tech startups is like taste of blood. Once you've seen it, everything else will seem like, you know, retirement. So I did go to work with large companies like Hydric and Struggles and worked with CII for a while, set up their Russia uh, office, worked with Russia practice at uh, Hydric. Really great organizations, but not for me. Like pace was very different. I didn't fit in. I didn't have the freedom that I had at a startup. I couldn't experiment. I had to take a lot of permissions to even make a change to the newsletter, do anything small. So clearly, freedom-wise, totally missed that. This was around 2006, seven, and internet has come in waves in India. There's a 99-2000 wave, 2006, seven, just before before the 2008 uh, financial crisis. And then there's the Flipkart wave around 2012. So just in terms of timelines. So this is around 2006, seven, you know, first generation of internet companies had happened in India. First generation of founders were already in the ecosystem. So we set up a tech companies to help them really strengthen their organization processes. A lot of what I had done at Newsling, essentially build a company, build things that scale very quickly. So set that up. And while it was a tech company, it was a consulting boutique company, but we worked mostly with tech companies. And along the course, I think the idea of Shiro sort of got seeded. Internet and tech has continued to grow since then. And I think that's really become like the most defining idea, but it got seeded somewhere along the way while building consulting company. And I'll tell you why it got seeded because we were a small company and we would hire a lot of uh, really smart people to work with us. X McKinsey, X Bain, X PCG. And uh, turns out most of them were women who worked remotely from locations like Hong Kong and South Africa. And in, in those days, nobody knew what remote was or flexible work was or any of that. And the only reason people would work with us was because there was a lot of flexibility. 
possibilities. So what kind of transpired was that a lot of people would apply to us. A lot of people would want to work with us. And we were a really small boutique team, you know, sort of getting around our business. So, and that's where the whole idea of Flexi Moms happened and then Shiro's happened. And then, of course, it has evolved from there. Amazing. And so when you started Shiro's, what was really the core of the idea? I think you were talking about so many uh, women coming together. I think you started it more like a jobs and career platform. Could you talk us through a little bit about that? So look, uh, when, when Shiro started, you know, internet was largely a metro thing. There were maybe 10 million women online in India. Main thesis is that as internet grows, it will give a lot of mobility to women, financial mobility, space to grow, space to discover resources. And the other thing, which is, you know, strong personal thesis that men and women use internet very, very differently. So let me give you an example. If you look at all the categories that are dominant today on the internet, they are pretty much four or five things that they fall under. One is sports, gaming, pornography, transactions, News, you know, these are five, six categories that are dominant. When large number of women come online and, you know, you will see this play out and we can come back and revisit this chat sometime. But when women come online, we will see very, very different kind of products emerge. And women are looking exactly for what they're looking in their offline world. One, they're looking for safety and trust. Two, they're looking to grow. Three, they need to make money, financial independence. Four, expression, recognition, identity. These are big things around which, you know, we will see products get built. And, you know, some of that is already playing on. But when we were first starting Shiro's, we were very focused around building a platform to help women uh, be part of the workforce. So just to give you a little more context, out of 600 million women in India, our women in work ratio is one of the world's poorest. Uh, And it's only fallen for many reasons. IT services hasn't grown, jobs hasn't grown, other sort of things that have been impacting it. But apart from that, India's gender index numbers are very, very poor. You know, we're one of the worst performing across the board in all gender indexes. So whether it is reproductive health or women's safety or or women in workforce or women in financial inclusion. So the thesis is very simple. As more women come online, they will look for things that are lacking and internet can help bridge that because it's the most efficient way to make things happen. And some of that is now playing out as we build Shiro's. So the first version of Shiro's was a jobs and careers platform for women to help more women get into the workforce and to create a platform for companies to connect. Shiro's has always been a community and that's a strong thesis, you know, I have. And women could come look for work. They could look for advice. They could look for resources. They could look for content. And it did pretty well. We had about 20,000 companies who were signed up. We had, you know, almost half a million plus women. Maybe we did more. So, so that's where it was. And then, of course, you know, again, waves of internet. This is pre-Geo, pre-WhatsApp, 10 million women online. So just to give you some more context, that 10 million in 2014 has now, uh, in 2019, IMI data says is 270 million. Okay, and 2020 numbers haven't yet come out. But, you know, it'll be somewhere in that vicinity, a little short of 300 million women who have ever been connected to internet in so that's a huge, huge jump in, you know, five years. So somewhere around 2017, we, we could see some of this panning out, some of this already happening. And uh, it's interesting how we learned this. At Shiro's, we've always run a helpline. So it's a community helpline. It's a counseling helpline. People can come and talk to us. And it's our way of sort of staying connected to our users and to our community. And Initially, the texture of conversation on the helpline used to be around work, around uh, entrepreneurship, around getting back to work. 
work, around work from home. But as we sort of evolve, that changed completely. You know, women from metros uh, were asking us different things, but there are a lot of women from small towns reaching out to us. A lot of women who didn't speak English, a lot of women were talking about other issues, health and relationships and domestic abuse or similar sort of requests. So we knew something is changing. And obviously in the background, Geo and WhatsApp was transpiring. And yeah, so we actually rebooted, relaunched in 2018 and two and a half years ago and basically expanded our target addressable market. We said, look, more women have come online first time and we got to build something that's a little more encompassing, gives more ownership to the users and makes it a safe experience of the internet for them. So relaunched a social network for women and uh, made it women only. And that's another interesting experiment that panned out well, only in hindsight, but kind of India first feature, unique in its attribute, and that kind of proved right. And the way the platform is built, it's basically taking a cue from the offline playbook in India. You know, India and South Asia, parts of Africa, parts of maybe Middle East, Latin, have women-only communities that have done very well. So women hang out in offline groups, whether they're self-help groups or, you know, organizations like Amol or Seva or Kitty Parties or your Chit Funds. They wait for women to self-organize and find support, find a space to express themselves and also find uh, financial outcomes for themselves. So that's the fundamental premise of Shiro's. It's built as a network of communities. Another network of communities is Reddit, obviously very different treatment of the product. But on Shiro's, there are communities we run. They are called official communities. There are communities users can run. They're called invite-only communities. Every user can sort of run like a large community of her own. And then there are brand or organization communities. So that's, that's how the product is structured. So there are communities, utilities, and micro apps. You know, these are three things on the platform. It's a social network that's women only. And the idea of the network is when women come to us, they find one of the following. They find identity. A lot of them are using internet for the first time. A lot of them have lived life as somebody's wife, somebody's sister, somebody's daughter. Uh, Really, so this is like how when we got online, we all, you know, got our Gmail IDs and our LinkedIn profiles and it kind of sort of goes everywhere where we go online. So identity is a big part. And identity is also tied to other things like financial independence, making your own money and things like that. Second is network, peer support, organizational support. Uh, We have this concept of champions, women who are paying it forward, our mentors to the network, who talk to users individually. We invest a lot in well-being and by well-being, we mean, you know, a lot of support and advice available to our uh, members. All the categories around which women resort to peer questions. And fourth is access to money and that's our business model as well. So women should be able to either make money or find access to money or find access to ways to make money with their own brand or micro entrepreneurship. So that's how the whole platform is structured. And then, you know, it's grown since we've got other platforms as part of part of the Shiro's network. Now uh, we made certain acquisitions. So that's the thesis of Shiro. Amazing. So wanted to dive into our topic for this episode, which is women's internet, which was enlightening for me. So before we kind of get into the details of it, can you, for our listeners, can you help them understand why we need a women's internet? Why don't the old mainstream platforms work for women? Absolutely. So look, much like rest of the world, uh, internet got built by men for themselves. So let me take an example from the offline world. When the industrial revolution happened, it kind of left out women, right? Like women were supposed to be at home and men were supposed to go to do jobs. So this continued until maybe 60s, 70s, right? We all know that phenomena. 
and i think internet's kind of replicating that behavior so i mean there was a time when the offline world they were manufacturing sites which didn't have loose for ladies because they just forgot that women exist and it wouldn't be wrong if we said the same for internet as it exists today one go through your unicorn lists right and tell me how many women founders you see there or how many products that are built keeping women's needs in mind and you know you'll be surprised and when i say women's needs look here is the deal women are really like left out from the mainstream economic a story at large and internet shouldn't be replicating that we know the global story less than 5% of ceos on fortune 500 list are women uh, in india again you know a similar story with less women in workforce less women in leadership less women in tech less women who get funded so it's all con- encompassing and as we build the internet further and you know we're still very early in the history of internet so you know if you look at let's say the the entire transacting population on e-commerce sites right it's 80% men if you look at transacting credit card users 80% men if you look at platforms uh, like tiktok twitter linkedin times internet they're all male dominated and here's what's transpiring internet's now because it got built by men for things that men care for there's a lot that can be built you know one there's an opportunity but second the experience of the internet is suboptimal So if you're a woman online today and you have a Twitter account or an Insta account, Facebook Messenger, chances are you have received unsolicited content. You've been trolled or abused or sent dick pics or, you know, your experience is really not optimal and it's worse. I mean, every woman I know has gone through this, except that we don't talk about it enough. And I think that's why we need to sort of talk about women's internet because it's a really powerful experience. enabling to i mean can you imagine we all have survived this lockdown because we have internet just imagine living your life without it for a week or even 5 days or 2 days right we all would go mad so a largely enabling technology and a huge gender gap is really i think in my opinion the big opportunity we have and particularly in india where you know we're the leapfrog generation we don't have to go the entire a route we could totally leapfrog this into an economic and social opportunity and that's fundamentally the idea behind women's internet and these 300 million users who've come online for the first time you know they're clamoring to grow they are here because this is the aspirational india right this is the gb consuming india and at some point it will realize it is realizing that hey i can do more here i can you know set up my shop i can transact i can learn all that is sort of transpiring and what we're really trying to do is build a stack that enables that in a safe trusted manner so safety trust stops everything else and then building to very very specific use cases so let me share a use case that's very particular uh, menstrual health period health so most women sort of need to track the menstrual health but it's not something that Uh, that's really been invested in a major way or it's hard to find a good guy now but it's a huge case that still has a lot of opportunity or teenage girls safe space for them so i think there are many cohorts of users who will who will need very very specific products and services as this matures and of course you know now we're going to have a uh, fiber cables in every village so i think uh, this is hugely exciting Yeah, it definitely is a huge opportunity. I mean, it grew from 10 million women online in 2014 to 270 million, as you said. And I think the category is just going to keep on growing in the next couple of years. So it's a huge opportunity. But what are some of the challenges that you faced in building uh, a women's only platform? 
there are no women VCs. I mean, at least, you know, not enough women VCs to begin with. Let me also tell you the other challenge is, you know, most people who worked in the women's space so far has been the government or they've been NGOs. So consumer internet is not identified with women unless you're selling lipstick to them. So I think just from a category perspective, we've had a fair share of challenges in terms of sort of establishing it and saying, hey, this is a deal and we're not just building a content platform. We're talking about a stack here. We're talking about something more. But it's kind of like a natural challenge. Because we're building a women-only platform, safety and trust is really big. So our investment in safety and trust is huge. And second thing we had to do was we couldn't use the traditional growth playbook that everybody else uses because, you know, for example, as a company, we can't use Google as an acquisition channel because Google doesn't know the gender of its user, or at least it doesn't let you target that way. So to build the Shiro's platform, we had to really sort of figure out our own, own way of building this, you know, and that's always hard when you have to design your own playbook. But once it's done, it's, it's great, but it's not something that you plug and play and go with. So we had to actually go down and build relationships with about 300 offline organizations. We built our own partnership playbook. We obviously created a lot of, you know, hooks in the product, including, you know, users running in white-only communities or gamifying the platform so that we would sort of own this in an efficient way. And obviously, even if we were ready to burn a lot of money, we couldn't have acquired those users because those users were either not looking for the products that we were building or these differentiation didn't exist. And in fact, there were a lot of times when we got featured on Play Store and you're very happy with there are a lot of downloads, but turns out you've delete like 60% of them because they're men trying to download your app and creating more challenges instead of you know helping you. So I think uh, building the category in itself, and of course, if I didn't explain this to you, you'll also say, what is this women's internet, right? Like it's a crazy wacky idea. And But look, here's a thesis and there's a lot of data that supports it. And now we're taking a bet on a category that didn't exist. We said we will come here and sort of start building around this. And that's how we've been building Shiro's like an ecosystem. So it's a hard job because you're kind of lonely when you're doing this. You don't have peers. Like a lot of people ask me, like, what is the U.S. equivalent of this? And I'm like, there isn't any because U.S. gender gap is not like our gender gap. So I think it's still a lot of ground up work that we had to do. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, you're building a new category which doesn't exist. And plus you're, you're competing against these platforms that are built by men, as you spoke about. It's yeah. difficult to, to target women. It must definitely have been a huge challenge. And, and one thing in particular, you mentioned, you know, men joining the platform and you have to figure out that they're men and actually remove yeah. them. How do you do that? How do you know that it's a man on the platform? So actually, you know, when we launched the app, the first big release that we built was, uh, you know, safety and trust release. What that means is we basically created our own algo that would identify a user's gender, inferring from a lot of, you know, soft signals. So not just what you tell me when you log in, because a lot of people, anybody who has malicious intentions would lie, lie as well, right? So they would sort of say uh, they are a woman, but they are not. So... A lot of that inferences drawn from their social data, from their phone data, from other social signals. So, and keep feeding that engine until it, it becomes, you know, pretty accurate. So today our gender algorithm is almost 80, 85% accuracy. And as it sort of, you know, goes through more data, it becomes better. And then of course, you know, giving the power to report every user, unlike Twitter, if you report on Shiro's, you know, you will hear back on every single report. You will hear back from us, but also auto disabling. So very stringent controls around access that users have and every user can report. And third is moderation. 
Uh, so there's a whole engine around safety and trust. In fact, our latest release, which went this weekend, kind of goes a step up. So we are taking a call in going identity only social network, which means everyone will have to prove their identity, a real identity, uh, and do certain things to sort of be on shields. So for us, this is a really big part of the platform. Look, it was initially just a hypothesis, but as more and more women started using the platform, their feedback just made us look into this very, very closely because this is, it seems, a very big win, especially for slightly older women, women who are first-time internet users, women who don't use a lot of other apps or at least have private Instagram accounts and, you know, don't post on Twitter. So to them, Shiro's is a safe space and that allows them to do everything that they care for, whether expressing themselves or sharing their artwork or asking difficult questions around relationships or career or you know violence so given the depth of what women do at Shiro's safety and trust was always like really important and even today it's a theme like when we sort of do our product roadmap it's a big pillar in part of building the Shiro stack. That's amazing and you talk about the Shiro stack and I believe you have 20 million women across properties and now that you've built this layer of trust you can kind of continue building on that so can you Help us understand what this stack looks like, what is involved in this ecosystem. So Shiro Stack is nothing basically women only space. And we've, you know, we've invested a lot in building this, right? It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of tech. Now, let's say you're somebody who wants to build another women, women only product. Let's say you want to build a Gynac app or you want to build an app for teenage girls or you want to build something that's very specific to a local community in Baruch. Let's say you want to host a kitty party circle. So we've already done this work and now, you know, pretty much like keeping in line with principles of the internet and open source and open, open APIs and uh, everything else. We'd like others to use it because that helps us sort of grow the thesis, right? So at one level, we have a product. At second level, we have a platform. But at the third level, we have women's internet. And that's where we want to like play in the long term. So we've been doing two things. One, we've been sort of, we've made about three, four acquisitions where we've acquired women-only properties or women-only use cases of properties to be part of our ecosystem. They all will sit on the same stack. That work is happening like this of 2020 project there's a shiro's login that will go live so if somebody can do this job that we did for us for you when you're launching women only use case it just makes your life much much easier so the shiro stack is really opening up our community micro utilities and micro apps apis and our logins for you to use so that you can build a women only product and it just sort of makes it easy especially we think this will encourage us it will encourage a lot more women to build products and services that women would like to use. You know, I'm a little mad about too many men trying to build products that women want to use, that women women use, and then trying to sort of being all clever about it. Really sounds weird. There are too many women-only platforms that men are building, and I'm sorry they lack a lot of empathy, and uh, it's a little sad, to be honest. And so the Shiro stack has this whole infra that we intend to open up. And second is, you know, our monetization stack. And third is the, the growth in the content stack, creator tools. Let me give you an example. So one of the things on Shiro's today is you can build your own community. And women are building amazing communities, you know, fashion and lifestyle and data science and you name it. And there's a community for that. You know, there are about 7,000 user-generated communities that are on the platform. 
Now, let's say, you know, some of your communities become very big and you may want to, you know, pluck them out and make them your own property. Like today, if, you, if a Facebook group becomes bigger, you have to stay on Facebook because you can't pluck it out. You either give up that group or you sort of build a new, new platform and then ask your users to transition. In, you know, again, keeping in spirit of, you know, being a good internet citizen, we are saying, hey, some of these communities will become big. And why don't people who created these communities, you know, sort of be allowed to build their own platforms, like build their own products out of it? That's the sheer stack. And of course, then there are a lot of small, small, fun things, creator tools and gamification and things around growth, personal dashboards. So a lot of products. Basically, each of these is a product track in the company, monetization, growth, uh, creation, and opening the infrastructure for other people to use. That's amazing. Sounds like you're very well poised to kind of open the women's internet up and let a lot more people build on top of what you've created. One last thing, a bit more about Shiro specifically. Can you help us understand your revenue models and how are you going about monetizing? So before we set out on the revenue model, Shiro's has one very simple thesis as a company that everything we do benefits women directly. What that means is that these four things that we said, identity, network, well-being, and money, these are sort of pillars for us to think about the model. And that's how we're monetizing, which means we don't have an ad network model. We do work with brands, but it's not ad-driven. The ecosystem feeds itself. So there are three revenue lines that are live uh, at Shiro's, and that's how we make money. One is we run remote work business. So women from the platform can apply to be a certified remote professional. They go through the certification, which is slightly tough, but that means only the best people become remote workers. And then we deploy them via our platform for standardized uh, automated processes, a lot of operational work that companies need done, mostly around operations and office support. So that's a business line, has about 10,000 women on the bench, profitable unit, small team. So basically, if I was to sort of explain to you the architecture of Heroes, there is the main tech stack, which sits in the at the top, 20 million network and hopefully 100 million network soon sits on top. This is flanked by our brand and our tech, everything that we're investing in. And in the middle is the value that women get, these four pillars that I just explained to you, identity, network, uh, well-being, and money. And at the bottom is how revenue gets generated, and that's the value that's accrued across parties. In this case, us, women, and uh, enterprises. So there's remote work where uh, women find work. Uh, second is distribution of D2C products. Again, you know, let's say I can't become a remote worker. My English is not so good, but I do want to make some money. I live in Baruch or I live in Bilaspur and I want to make, uh, you know, some income. So we have something called, this line is called Shiko uh, and the remote work line is called Mars Managed Remote Solutions. So women work as distributors of these products, which are D2C products. So brands like Sugar and Topper and a bunch of others in their own networks. And that whole transaction goes through us. So we are basically again an enabling layer. We run an academy called the Shiko Academy, which does a lot of support and sort of getting women prepped up to this. So this line has almost 150,000 women signed up. It's a new line. It started only in January this year. And yeah, so we, we just finished our first pilot, 2000 women. That's like a revenue line that we are seeing a lot of traction. And again, you know, COVID effect, a lot of adoption, a lot of interest in income generation and so forth. And the third line is working with brands to use our platform. So to solution their way into using the platforms. So if you're an insurance company, if you are a consumer brand, you can use the platform to build your own community on you know, so that 
uh, pretty much sort of these days, apparently they call it conversational marketing, but engaging with people like people and not with people like bots. A lot of advertising is very you know, let me show you this ad and, you know, spam the hell out of you and hopefully you will buy. So there's no direct selling behavior, but it's more around, hey, let me engage with you. Can I show you something that might be interest of interest to you? Can we have a conversation? Can I ask your opinion? So it's conversational and it's texture. That's what communities do. So brands can build their communities on the platform, you know, and that's something we support. Again, a lot of tech and a little bit of enablement. So these are three lines that are live. And now we are evaluating launching distribution of financial products. Thank you so much for uh, walking us through this. And I think you built an amazing and very big community. I'm, I'm sure all of our listeners are aware or have heard of Heroes. Uh, would love to understand a little bit more about what you've done outside of Heroes. I understand that you're associated with Paytm, I think on the board as well, or you were. How you've like helped the ecosystem in general uh, outside of Heroes. You live only once, so you got to do things you enjoy and love and like. I'm all for all for that. And the other thing that I believe in is range and depth. One should have a lot of depth. So for me, Shiro's is depth. You know, you can wake me up at 3 a.m. and I can have this conversation with you all over again, like without being unexcited about it. There are a lot of things I do outside of Shiro's. So one is I sit on the Paytm Bank board. I also support an organization called Milan Foundation. They bring girls who are between 13 and 16 from rural India to the internet and it's a it's actually a leadership fellowship and this year going digital so I'm helping them that's it on the board then I um, support an organization called girls in tech again around that and then I've always worked with founders I've been doing this thing called uh, Saturdays with Sairi pre-COVID it used to be an offline I would open my calendar and invite uh, founders and mostly a lot of women founders would come in and we would, you know, chat over a cup of chai and get to talk about their business or women leaders. So uh, I've been doing a little bit of that. I plan to do more work with founders as I go forward. Shiro's, is, as you can see, the rails are set. And now and we have a fantastic team that runs it. Like the joke in the company is that I'm the chief tweeting officer. It's kind of, we've set the foundation. And of course, now we have a long way to go. But we feel that a lot of this is... The playbooks for some of that exists, you know, how to scale a business from 2 million to 6 million exists, you know, how do you sort of go from 20 million users to 50 million users and 100 million users. Uh, That's where Shiro's is. But as a founder, I'm interested in one growing the ecosystem for women founders. I'm interested in more women founders getting funded. Look, I hacked my way into this, but that was clearly not a system. I did things in spite of the system and not because of the system. So clearly we have an opportunity here and that's where I want to invest a lot of my time. And so I'm brewing a few things, thinking about some collaborations, but that's an area I'm you know, definitely interested in. I'm also interested in this whole theme of more money in hands of women, women financial inclusion banking for women all of that so yeah i I love all these things awesome so just to wrap up and close we ask every guest of ours one question which is why we've named this founders unfiltered what is that one piece of unfiltered advice that you've got that changed the way you looked at your career or your life it could be anything so look lots of advice a lot of people help me and you know if you see our angels and Some of them are really brilliant founders and I've got lots and lots of help from everyone. But look, I think one one person who's been really integral to our journey is VSS, Vijay Shikha from Paytm. 
first investor uh, wrote us our first check, helped us a lot. And I think the biggest sort of advice was around finding large markets and making sure you're you're always playing in a large market. And that's why this whole shift was like, we were able to make that shift in the first place, but also around the power of free cash flows. It isn't popular in the ecosystem, but I think at some point it will. But to sort of, you know, build businesses that are frugal and efficient and have a large market ahead of them, nothing good gets away. And that's sort of my you know, belief. And I think Vijay Shekhar helped refine a lot of that as we were building this. So let me give you a little context to this. Look, building a consumer internet company can also mean that you build a high burn company. And, you know, that's the norm, right? Everybody has to burn millions of dollars before you get to something. We were able to challenge that because... The advice I really got was to look at the market, which is really big, but also if you have a core business at the base of it, holding it all together, it will sort of find its feet. And it did turn out that way, you know, eventually. And now, a quick summary of what we discussed with Seri, the founder of Shiro's. After a series of entrepreneurial experiences, Seri found a calling through Shiro's. The core idea behind Shiro's was to create a platform where women could express themselves freely. It started off as a platform for women to join the workforce. Now it is a whole community helping women with jobs, resources, networking, and advice. Seri realized that the internet was built by men with their needs in mind, leaving women underserved. Many women had bad experiences online in some form or the other, And there was a lack of trust and safety from women online. This was the problem she was trying to tackle. In her journey of building Shiro's, Seri faced a lot of challenges, as there were very few women founders creating something back then, especially for the consumer internet. There was no playbook available, and she was creating a whole new category of internet. There was also no parallel in the West. Shiro's was made keeping in mind four basic principles, helping women find their identity, focused on community well-being, creating a safe social network, and helping women raise finances. The social platform had maintained a quality of discussion by taking strong actions to report any users and by by stringently moderating all, all activities on the platform. Shiro's has built a stack that women can, can use to build their own products on the platform. Shiro's revenue streams are split into three buckets, remote work, distribution of B2C goods, and enterprise brands, which can uh, market their own products on the platform and allow people to have meaningful conversations around it. Outside of Shiro's, Seri is working on several social initiatives to empower women in the ecosystem generally. She enjoys talking to and helping women, women founders as well. She highlights the importance of building businesses that are frugal and innovative and have a large market ahead of them. Thank you so much for tuning into Founders Unfiltered. I've got a favor to ask you. Will you take a minute to review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening? Thank you.